Good morning. Good to see you all here again. And we all had a week off last week because of the weather, but it is great to be back together with each and every one of you again. We missed it last week. We miss you guys when we're not with you. Um, and I just want to say just thank you, too, just for all the encouragement, all the cards and everything. And from last, uh, the last month, you guys are so incredible. This is such a warm, loving church, and there's folks that um, gave cards that didn't sign their names, so I wasn't able to, to thank those folks, but um, yeah, just thank you so much. This is, uh, what a blessing to be here. And then um, there's a special treat I have in store for all of you today. I'm going to have a very condensed message this morning. So, I guess I won't. <laughs> It's been fact-checked, so whoever did that, um, well done. So uh, <laughs> set your clocks for three hours and 30 minutes. No, but uh, <laughs> I saw that Janet shirt with Pastor Russ, and he wrote back, fake news. <laughs> so praise God for that. Let's go to prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you just for the privilege it is to be in your house with your people, Lord, to hear from you. And Jesus, as you spoke in the book of Revelation to the, to the seven churches there that the letters are written to from you, you say, those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. Lord, give us your ears today. Open our ears, open our eyes to your truth, to your spirit, to hear from your word. Thank you for what you've taught me this last week, Lord, again. Thank you for your love for me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you, Jesus, that even though I was your enemy, you died for me and you loved me and called me to life in you. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you, Jesus, as their Savior, that today is the day of their salvation. And Jesus, Lord Jesus, in your name I cast out any evil spirits, the enemy, they have no place here, they are trespassing. This is your house. Let them not stop up any ears. Let them not blind any eyes to your spiritual truth, to the truth of your word, of your gospel. We love you, Jesus, and we trust you, and we thank you for this time. In your name, amen. We're going to be continuing, as Pastor Russ said, in the Sermon on the Mount series. So open your Bibles, if you have them, to Matthew 5. We're going to be in verses 13 through 20. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. And I would say this, if you do not have a Bible of your own, see me afterwards, and I will get you one. That's how important it is. And if you have an app on your phone and you don't have your Bible, use your app. But there's nothing like holding the very word of God in your hands, hearing from him. If you would, please stand as we read just the first section here, verses 13 through 16. This is Jesus speaking. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You can be seated. So you might be think you might see this. Are you better than a Pharisee? 
And you might be like, Dave, have you lost your mind again? The answer is maybe yes, but hopefully no. As I was uh, preparing for this um, a week ago last week, I was just like reading verse 20, because we're going to spend just a few moments in verses 13 through 16. The bulk of our time is going to be 17 through 20 today. Pastor Russ had gone through this section, the 13 through 16. Um, he touched on that during our Christmas series. So um, I want to just touch a little bit more, but spend the bulk of our time in that 17 through 20. And let's listen to what verse 20 says. This is Jesus talking. For I tell you, he's speaking to the masses. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribe and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, hmm? G Wait, Jesus, did you just say what I th thought I heard you say? Wait. I have to be more righteous than the scribes and Pharisees? Maybe that was the response of, some of, the, of a lot of the folks standing there. And I can only imagine. I don't find this from Scripture. This is thought of Dave, okay? When you, once you go and thought of Dave, you go into a strange land at times. Ask Janet. <laughs> Behind every successful guy is a woman rolling her eyes. But I can just picture the scribes and Pharisees being at this point message that Jesus is giving. I can only imagine that they were there. They wanted to hear what this young whippersnapper might have to say. And when they heard him say, verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. I can only imagine they're like, yeah, yeah, this guy's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll stay and, and we'll, we'll give our two thumbs up on this message and Maybe we'll even let him wear one of our royal robes for five minutes afterwards. This was their, this was their jam. I can just sense that their egos were getting just skyrocketed. They're looking at each other. Yeah. Yeah, it's us. And all it does is give them more right in their mind, the, look condescend, the condescending looks and attitudes towards those they were supposed to serve. This is not at all what Jesus was talking about. And as we see from Scripture, from these four Gospels, and as we hear from Paul in his Pauline epistles, the scribes and Pharisees totally missed the boat again and again and again. And they missed the point of what Jesus was saying to them. You see, these scribes and Pharisees, they had all kinds of passion. They were zealous. And I love what Vadi, Vadi Bakum says. The modern church is producing passionate people filled with empty heads who love the Jesus they don't know very well. And I'll go a step past that to, know that, to love the Jesus they don't know at all. Scribes and Pharisees, they were known for their zealousness. They were known for their unbridled enthusiasm they were known for their passion they made a big to-do anytime they put their offerings in the box <laughs> make sure it makes a nice loud clanging noise so everyone knows all the riches that they're putting in 
But what did Jesus say when he saw the widow go over and put in the widow's mite, the smallest of all coins, because that's all she had. It didn't even make a sound, most likely, and she dropped it in. She said, that is true worship. And what they're doing is not. Passion never equals godliness. It doesn't. Now, passion is a result that should be just automatically overflowing from us because of those of us who have been saved by Jesus, those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, that should be a natural overflow. We should have a passion for God, a passion for Jesus, a passion to share Jesus with others who don't know him, a passion to dive into his word, not have a diet from his word, not have... Like, I'll touch it every once in a while, but have a diet of God's word, a steady diet. Have a passion for prayer. Have a passion to be with God's people because that's where we're sharpened and that's where we can sharpen others. There's lots and lots of passion in churches today. Without Jesus being the center and focus of the worship, honor, and glory, and praise in the true gospel. want to see and be sickened in a couple 30 seconds maybe less google circus church and you'll see what some people call a worship service in our country today there's people flocking to it it's disgusting and as always a spiritual component to this is that there's a demonic blinding deception on the part of the scribes and Pharisees, and there's also a veiling of the truth from God himself to them. All the way back from the first century scribes and Pharisees, all the way to people who are standing in pulpits today. Jesus knew the depths of the heart of those scribes and Pharisees. Just as he knows the depth in the heart, in the mind of me, just as he knows the depths of the heart of you and your mind today, those of you in the overflow, those of you watching online, Jesus knows the depths of your heart. And he still died for you. He still died for me. So what does our guy Paul, the Apostle Paul, have to say about this? Romans 11, 7, and 8 says this. Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, down to this very day. So how do we understand the words of Jesus? Good question. To understand the words of Jesus, you have to know Jesus as your Savior. And once you know Jesus as your Savior, and he knows you as his very own, then you'll truly understand the words of Jesus, God's holy word, the Bible. How do we interpret scripture? I asked this in the Sunday school class today. How do we interpret scripture? Someone shout it out. Scripture interprets scripture, absolutely. And the Holy Spirit helps us interpret scripture. Scripture never, ever contradicts itself. And those that say that 
it does contradict itself, have a demonic blinding, and their eyes have not been unveiled to God's true word. To be able to understand it, you need to be saved by Jesus, have your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior, because then the Holy Spirit enters you and makes his home inside you. And then the mystery and what seems to be foolishness of the gospel to those who are dying and perishing without Jesus becomes our very life. Pastor Russ went through this again, these verses 13 through 16. Verses 13 and 14 say this again. Jesus is speaking, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. When we put our faith and our trust in Jesus as our Savior, we take on the characteristics of our Savior. It's a wild thought, isn't it? While our sin nature still exists, we put on the characteristics and we get the characteristics of Jesus. It's a transformation. We've been named salt and light. And salt has a healing yet stinging effect on the unbeliever. Salt isn't pleasant. It's like when you scraped your knee as a kid and you go to mom and they get the back teen or whatever that was, that ointment from Hades, and it goes on there, and it's going to sting a little bit. Just stick a knife in there. It might hurt less. And they put it on there, and you're like, but then it does feel better. Salt stings a wound, but it heals it. And then Jesus goes on to say, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? And the literal translation in the Greek for this, to, one, to lose one's saltiness, is to become stupid. Is to become foolish. And I'm like, dear Lord, how many times have I become stupid? Because I've broken your holy laws. I've listened to the enemy. I've accepted their deception. I've accepted their lies as my truth, not your truth, and exalted myself above you. And when I made myself become stupid time and time again, God didn't lead me there. 1 John 1.9 if we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank the Lord. And then we read on. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. This is Jerusalem. This picture is taken from the Mount of Olives. The very, here's a fun fact, the very Mount of Olives that Jesus himself will personally descend on at his second coming. <laughs> what a sight, hey? Jerusalem was elevated about 2,575 feet above sea level, city on a hill. 
A lot of Bible scholars believe that when Jesus said this in verse 14, you are the light of the world, the city set on a hill cannot be hidden, that he was talking about Jerusalem. Jesus had a love for Jerusalem. He wept over it. Quick little off-ramp here. Remember the, joy, remember the song Joy to the World? We sing it at Christmas time. Anyone know that? Okay, cool. <laughs> you know that's not actually technically a Christmas song? That's a song about the second coming of Jesus. That's what the author wrote it for. So yeah, we'll dual use it. That's cool with me. I love that song. But that song is a celebration about King Jesus coming to earth to reign as king. So a little hopeful fun fact there. So we know about light. Or we know about salt. Salt in the wound stings it, but it has a healing effect. Light also provides a sting to the eyes in a dark world. Any of you ever leave like a dark theater or you're in a real dark room and you go out and it's like noon and you're like, whoa, yeah, stings, it hurts the eyes. That's why you automatically kind of squint and go like this or have your sunglasses. We are the light of the world and this is the kind of effect we have on unbelievers, Christian. Dave, this is the kind of effect you should have on unbelievers, Dave. Followers of Jesus, how we conduct ourselves in the midst of an unbelieving world and to an unbelieving world is everything. Our message is Jesus came to save sinners because we were sinners. And we are sinners, but we're saved by grace. And our message, Jesus promised us, is going to be offensive. We are going to offend people with the gospel of Jesus Christ because people don't want to know that, number one, that they're sinners. They don't want to be told that they're living wrong. They just want to be celebrated in their sin. I've heard that in counseling, at some point, the comfort must stop and the challenge must come. I've had that in myself. My parents took us, my family, my sister and her husband, this was back in 1998, took us to the Reformation tour over in Europe. Pastor Lutzer from Moody Church did a Reformation tour. He wrote a book called Hitler's Cross. So we went to Germany and a number of places, went to some concentration camps, went to the castle that Martin Luther uh, hid out in that little room, saw the church in Wittenberg that he nailed the 95 theses on the door, went to Austria, went to Switzerland. I was not living for Jesus at that point. This is 1998. And Pastor Lutzer had a come to Jesus talk with me near a beer tent <laughs> in Berlin at a festival. My parents are watching this. They don't even know this. So hang in there, Mom and Dad. I was ticked at the world. I was ticked at God. I was ticked at everything. Especially God. Because he took my, he took my dream of being a professional musician away. How dare he? Because I made the stupid thing. God, if you make this band succeed, I will make your name great. 
was said, but when the salt has become stupid. I've been to that Olympics. I've won first every time. And I'm sitting there just bearing my grudges to Pastor Lutzer, and he was so gracious. But at one point, he said, Dave, if you keep talking like this, I'm done with you today. I'm done. He didn't say this, but the basic words were, suck it up, buttercup. I needed to hear that. I needed to be rebuked. Thank God for Pastor Lutzer. So followers of Jesus, we're called to be that spiritual stinging yet healing ointment on non-believers, and we don't convict them. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict them. We just share the message, and we're supposed to live out the message that we are sharing with them. How do we share this, this gospel message? The same way Jesus did with gentleness, kindness, humility, all the fruits of the Spirit, and with the love that can only come from Jesus. And then you leave it in the Holy Spirit's court. As J.D. Frog from Hawaii says, the badder the bad news is, the gooder the good news is. Jesus came to save sinners such as, in, such as me. So here's the meat of what we're going in today, verse 17 through 20. If, I'm sorry, but if you don't mind standing with me again as we read through this, I would so appreciate it. Verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, Jesus says. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And here's the kicker. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never see and enter the kingdom of heaven. Thank you. You can be seated. So as we're sharing this news with our non-believing friends, Here's what the Bible says. Faithful in Psalm 27, 6. Faithful are the words of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. When we don't share the true gospel of Jesus Christ, of salvation, to people who need to hear it, we're helping them pack their bags for hell. I don't know how else to put it. Jesus has called us and saved us to be his ambassadors in this dark, dying, sinful world that we once belonged to. To be his salt and light for his honor and for his glory and for his kingdom. So I just talked about our message. What was Jesus' mission? He's stating his mission in these four verses right here. He didn't come to overthrow the Roman occupiers. He did not come to overthrow the, the religious elites. 
that we're adding all kinds of ungodly, unscriptural, demonic commandments that people, there's no way they could follow. It was unbearable to follow. Made it impossible to serve and worship God. And he didn't start, didn't come to start a a revolution to set up his kingdom here on earth. is very explicit in saying this in verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish or get rid of the law. I haven't come to get rid of them, but to fulfill them. See, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were not leading God's people in the way that they were commanded to. They made God's law all about themselves. And they made it unattainable. Theirs was a closed club. The scribes and Pharisees, all you could do was wish and hope to become included in their circle. Oh, they'll take your offerings. They'll take your sacrifices. That's what God demands. God demands you do this. And yeah, I'll, yep, okay, yeah, here's, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, go with, go with God. How much do we get? What's your take? Okay. They added to God's law, and that's not good for them. Because they were just fixing what God had forgot to put in. Made themselves their own gods in their own eyes. And Proverbs is replete with the phrase of those being wise in their own eyes. With the meaning that they are foolish, that they are stupid. On the contrary, Jesus is calling us to be like him. Follow his example. Be holy as he is holy, as God is holy. God's word calls and commands us to be holy. And how can we do this when we, fellow brother, sister in Christ, when we sin moment by moment? How can we be holy as God is holy? called the process of sanctification. God knows we're going to continue. He wants us to grow in our relationship with him. He knows we're going to sin. He knows we're going to continue to break his laws. And when we do, he tells us the way back. He wrote down the way back. Confession, repentance. Instant reconciliation, instant restoration, every time guaranteed. Where else do you get that? No, no earthly relationship, that's for sure. What's the phrase, an elephant never forgets? Well, I'm part elephant, and that's a sad thing. I need that part of me removed. I got too much junk in the trunk. <laughs> elephant. I need to get rid of the elephant. Lord, redeem this, please. How many times is it so easy for me to recall those who have hurt me, those who have ticked me off, those who have gone against me, those that have done this and this and this and this and this, and I get right back in that same moment, and I'm like, and I can just picture almost Jesus being like, Dave, he's not, though. He's like, 
faith. Pharisees and these scribes, they missed it all. And when Jesus, and when people say that don't know the Bible at all, because they don't know Jesus at all, when they say, Jesus was all about love, he never judged anyone. Um, no, I so beg to differ. Open your Bible. Open a Bible. Open the true Bible, the Word of God. And you'll see the words that Jesus had for those that consider themselves perfect as God. Righteous in their own eyes. When we mess up, the Holy Spirit in us does and should and can and will convict us. And then we can immediately confess and repent. Psalm 119, 11 through 13, this is one of the ways we can combat the enemy's tricks and snares and attacks on us to try and break our Savior's holy laws that he set for us. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. See, the Ten Commandments and the law that shows the absolute worst possible news for me. It shows me I'm a sinner, I'm deserving of death, I've broken God's holy laws, and I deserve eternal separation from him. And it leaves me completely hopeless and destitute. God didn't leave me there. He didn't leave you there. Non-Christian, he does not leave you there. You have this, cho this choice today. Two of the best words in the Bible. Anyone know them? But God. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. See, the law shows me who I am. God's word takes me to the Savior. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love... With which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Jesus didn't come to get rid or abolish the law. He fulfills it. It's perfect, it's holy, it's straight from the finger of God. Jesus fulfilled the law, he taught it, he did it, he lived it. So what do we get from the law? Here's what the law teaches me teaches me who God is, how holy God is, and what Jesus expects from us and what he has in his mind and heart of his standard of perfection. Verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. At first read or at first listen, this sounds almost blasphemous or scandalous. Almost. But Jesus would never say anything blasphemous or scandalous. He can't. It's not in his nature. And he cannot do anything that is not in his nature. And this is where the Pharisees completely missed it. 
Who, who are these Pharisees? Good question. The double agents, pretty lousy ones. They only deceived themselves. The wolves in sheep's clothing. They believed their earthly identity automatically gave them a heavenly kingdom of God identity. They were counting on their own righteousness. And that's a damning place to be. Every single one of us, before we came to Jesus, that's exactly where we were. Dead in our sins, hoping that we would be 50.1% good enough in God's eyes to tip the scale in our favor so we can be in paradise. Wrong. Matthew 15, 1 through 9, Pharisees setting up all their own traditions, but they break every single one of Jesus' commandments. Philippians 3, 18 and 19, here's the true state of the Pharisees, the scribes, and then there's also this group called the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the ones that believed that there was no bodily resurrection. So in Bible colleges and seminaries across the country, the joke follows, why were the Sadducees sad? Because they believe there's no no resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. And you get the groan from all the students because they've already heard it. So thank you for the groans this morning. Philippians 3, 18 and 19. Here's the true state of the Pharisees here. Apostle Paul writing this. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. Walk as enemies of the cross to Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And Apostle Paul, he was the member of the Pharisees before Jesus saved them. He demanded highest, strictest obedience to the Jewish law. And he was so passionate, so zealous, that he harshly persecuted the the true church of Jesus, arresting them, killing them. He was on a demonic mission. He obeyed the law of man without fault. He was blameless in the law of man. So he obtained man's righteousness, which is completely worthless in the eyes of God. So the moral of this, you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. Here's the flip side of the coin from the Apostle Paul. Philippians 3, 1 through 10. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put on no confidence on the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised in the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal or passion, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death. This, folks, is a righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees. We can't please God by our good works, our good deeds. He counts it all as human waste. Or as Pastor Russ had said, dung, a couple weeks ago. That's the best we got. J.D. Farag, pastor from Hawaii, states that there is a saying among these religious elites, that two types of people will be in heaven. A Pharisee and a scribe. (laughs) They had all the head knowledge, but no heart knowledge. John 5, 39 through 40, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus is talking there. Without a heart transformation, we are brain dead. All the knowledge in the world that we can get about Jesus, about the Bible, about memorizing scripture, if it's all up here but nothing in here, it is worthless. We're brain dead. Demons have all this knowledge, James says. They know scripture better than we do. They believe in God and they shudder. All they got is head knowledge. Look again. Let's see again where Paul writes about the Pharisees. Romans 9, verse 30 and 32. Paul says, what shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. So now Jesus is saying this. Unless your righteousness isn't more righteous than the Pharisees' perceived righteousness, you'll never make it into my kingdom. Jesus is saying the only righteousness that you can get is by me. Not by works that you have done, but according to my mercy, I have saved you, Jesus would say. By the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Spirit. I'm citing him a lot today, but again, J.D. Farag says this. Jesus came from heaven to earth, not to lower but to raise the bar of righteousness even higher than where it had been. So how in the world can we get our righteousness to be that good, Dave? You got the rich young man's problem. He says to Jesus in Matthew 19, 16 through 20, "Uh, Teacher, what good deed, single deed, just one, he's asking, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? See, he goes to Jesus with his moral balance sheet, if you will. All the good things I've done. And I've put some of the 
bad things on there too, but not all. Because some of those were justified. Yeah, yeah, they were justified. So, you know, and justify the means. At Christmas time, Pastor Russ had an invoice that we all could have stamped paid in full. Not by Pastor Russ, not by the ushers in the back, even though they just did the stamping, that paid in full. And that red ink symbolizes Jesus' blood shed for you, shed for me. Every stinking thing that we have ever said, done, thought in our life have broken God's laws. His shed blood covers it all. And if we receive the free gift of salvation by Jesus, by placing our faith and trust in him, he'll too say to us, paid in full. How do I get my moral balance sheet to go in God's favor, to accept the sin in his kingdom, yet alone his family? This is the question that is the tipping point of every single person that ever walked this earth. It is literally the difference between eternal life and eternal death. We can't. We can't do it on our own. And if we're truly honest about our predicament and about our situation, we're going to echo Paul's words that he said in Romans 7, 24, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And Jesus says, I can because I am. Jesus says, I can because I am. That's for you today. And then you have the connection of that head heart. Because Jesus fulfilled the law on the cross. He was the ultimate, perfect, final, sacrificial lamb. He brought a close of the age of the law. And right then entered the age of grace. That we still live in today. Anyone forget to bring their pigeon, their goat, their sheep for offering today? Anyone forget yours at home? Thank God we did. We don't have to do that anymore. Jesus was our final lamb. If we could enter the kingdom of heaven in any other way, other than putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone, his death on the cross would have been in vain. It would have been for nothing. And it would have been really just pitiful to see a man like that just die for things that he didn't do. But true righteousness comes from and through faith in Jesus, knowing that possessing perfection is never achieved here on earth. It's only when Jesus calls us home. So are you better than a Pharisee? No, I'm not. You're not. We need the righteousness that can only be given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You guys are probably already expecting this, but I close every message this way because it's just, it makes sense for me. You might be sitting there thinking, well, Dave, how do I obtain this righteousness from Jesus? And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I pray that this is on your heart, burning you seriously inside right now. Here's the way home. Admit, acknowledge that you're a sinner. 
confess and repent. Romans 6.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The way back to Jesus, 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from most of our unrighteousness. No, it's all of our righteousness. Thank you, Connie. All. Past, present, future, No game showing on this earth can you get that kind of prize. So you admit, acknowledge you're a sinner, you confess, repent, then you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you, for your sins, and that he rose again from the dead. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And then last C, C, call upon the name of the Lord. Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you don't know where you're at with Jesus today, please find me afterwards, find Pastor Russ, Pastor Paul, Pastor Daniel. We'll lead you home. Do not, I, I beg you, do not leave here today without knowing that you are part of God's family. That you have been forgiven of all your past, present, future sins. That you have been given the gift of justification. Being made as perfect as Jesus. Being justified means justified, never sinned. Getting the righteousness of God that you can never even begin to dream of getting on your own in any other way. We'll lead you home. Dear Heavenly Father, just... Thank you for loving me. Thank you for the gift of showing me again this last two weeks again of who I truly was. Of who I was without you, Jesus. But because I put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ and in him and him alone, now I'm a child of God. And my Heavenly Father has an amazing inheritance for me that my big brother Jesus is sharing with me. And his victory is now my victory. His righteousness is now my righteousness. His robe of righteousness is now my own robe of righteousness. So when I sin, God the Father doesn't see my sins. He sees me dressed in his son's robe. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we need you. I pray if there's someone here that knows that they don't know your Savior, they do not leave here today until they put their faith and trust in you. I pray this made sense here today, Lord. It's in your hands. In your name we pray. Amen.